What are we going to do about a lost and dying world, a hell-bound world, a world, world full of hurting people who need compassion? You're listening to The Master's Plan, a sermon series at Shoreline Church. For more audio and theological content, visit thisisshoreline.com. All right, well, good morning again. It's great to see you all this morning. I have the privilege of opening God's Word and sharing with us this morning. It's always a privilege to be able to do this. Thank you to Pastor Pilgrim for asking me uh, to take this part of our Win Disciple Send series. You've had to endure me three times this year, three times. That's a record, man. All right. <laughs> All right, well, this really is a foundational study for us as a church, and we, I think, should be reminded of this every couple years. And we've called it the master's plan for a reason. Because as we look at God's word, we quickly see these fundamental elements that are embodied in the words win, disciple, and send. And as we look at the entirety of scripture, we see this grand narrative that points to the incarnation of Jesus in the gospels and then continues on to see him sustaining the church. And then ultimately returning to rule and reign forever. And the main reason that God set this grand story into motion was for his glory to be proclaimed among all nations. And so the question we need to ask this morning is what part has he called me to play in his story? Well, the answer comes in the words, win, disciple, and send. And when we see the importance of knowing and defending the gospel. Two weeks ago, Pastor Pilgrim reminded us uh, about the crucial elements of the gospel and exhorted us to be faithful in sharing it. In disciple, we learn what our role is in the body of Christ. Last week, James reminded us what the purpose of the church gathering is. For believers to be equipped, for believers to be discipled, for believers to grow in maturity so they will then go and disciple others. And finally this morning, we complete the circle. Once we understand the gospel, once we understand our role in the church, then we will understand our role in the grand story that we are sent to extend his glory among the nations. And that's the title of the sermon this morning, Sent to Extend His Glory. And we have three points that we're going to look at this morning. Number one, we're going to see God's role in sending that he sovereignly directs. Next, we're going to see the church's role in sending that the church prayerfully facilitates. And then we're going to see our role, the believer's role in sending that we obediently go. We're going to be looking at a number of passages this morning. So make sure you have your Bible open and ready because we're going to be going back to the Old Testament and seeing God's heart there as well as the New Testament. So we're going to be jumping around a bit this morning, but one passage that encapsulates all three points this morning is found in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. So turn there as we start this morning, Acts chapter 13, 
verses 1 through 3. And as you're turning there, let's be reminded that this is the very Word of God that we hold in our hands. Over 2,500 times in the Old Testament alone, the Bible says that God spoke what is written in these pages. We know that Scripture has authority. It has authority for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We know that Scripture is sufficient, meaning that in Scripture we have everything we need to know for life and godliness. We have all that we need to know about who God is and what God requires of us. We know that Scripture is inerrant and infallible, meaning that it is absolutely true and totally trustworthy. And finally, we know that the Word of God is active. It is powerful. It is living, nourishing, and sanctifying. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray and seek the Lord as we start this morning. Dear Lord, we thank you for your inerrant word that teaches us, that shows us who you are, that gives us that hope that does not disappoint, that hope that is 100% certain. Lord, we know that you are the sovereign creator. Lord, you've created us for your glory, to see your fame, your glory, your name spread among the nations. So I ask, Lord, as we look at your word this morning, that, Holy Spirit, you would teach us, that you would show us, even this morning, what ways that you are calling us to get involved in this great task. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. So let's read Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So it's in this passage that we see the threefold picture of how God sends the church. Verse 2 says that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, moves through the leadership of the church and in the hearts of individuals to take the gospel somewhere it has not been. And we're going to come back to this passage when we get to our second point. But for now, let's move to our first point, God's role in sending, that he sovereignly directs. And to illustrate, we're going to be looking at several places in the Old Testament. We're going to see that God's desire is for his glory to be proclaimed among all nations and that he sends out his chosen people to accomplish this task. If I were to ask you this morning, uh, give me a couple uh, verses on missions. What verses would you say? What verses would come to your mind? Probably Matthew 28, of course, the Great Commission. Maybe Acts 1.8, that we are sent to be his witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Maybe Mark 16.15, go and preach the gospel to all creatures. But in reality, missions begins in Genesis and is all throughout the Old Testament. And there's a global thread that runs across, runs throughout Scripture, showing us God's heart for the world. 
A couple weeks ago, as you know, we took a trip up to Engage Global in Minneapolis for the weekend. And it was an amazing trip where we were, uh, we were shown God's heart for the nations out of his word. And then we were sent out, just briefly, but sent out briefly to go experience and learn culture, to learn Somali culture, to learn Hmong, uh, Hmong Asian culture. And it was an amazing time. But the very first thing they did is they sat us down and Rick Davis, the founder of Engage Global, he took us through this global thread. And it made such an impact on us that I thought I would share it with you this morning. So I give Rick Davis and Engage Global all the credit for this. Um, a, a phrase that explains this mandate well is six words. Six words. Enjoy my grace, extend my glory. That's what we are called to do as believers. Enjoy God's grace and in turn extend his glory. And we're going to see this as we look in these passages. So let's go back to Genesis. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And actually we see this mandate in the very, very beginning, starting even in the first chapter of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. Just one verse, verse 28. Genesis 1.28 says this. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So as we know, man was the last and best part of God's creation. And right away, right after he creates them, he blesses them. But that blessing is followed by a command, isn't it? He sends them into earth to do what? Multiply and fill the earth. Also to have authority over the rest of creation, the plants and the animals. So in this blessing, right in the beginning, we see that Adam and Eve were to enjoy God's grace. He blessed them and says, enjoy what I've created for you. But by being sent throughout the whole earth, they are to extend his glory, multiply and fill the earth. But what quickly happens? What quickly happens? The fall, right. The fall. Adam and Eve sins. And they are kicked out of the garden and corruption spreads throughout the whole earth, throughout creation. Now every person is born with a sin nature. Cain kills Abel and it only gets worse from there. In fact, it gets so bad that God regrets making man and decides that he will judge the earth, saving only one family. Turn to Genesis 8, a couple chapters over. Genesis 8, verse 20. And after the flood was over... Abraham and his family exit the ark, and they build an altar to the Lord. And here in verse 20 of chapter 8, this is what we read. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So God repeats this same command that he gave to Adam and Eve. He blesses them. He says, Enjoy my grace. 
I have saved you. I've given you this earth again. Enjoy that, but extend my glory by filling the earth, multiplying, and spreading my fame wherever you go. But, unfortunately, a couple chapters later, we find our ancestors rebelling against this mandate once again. Look at two chapters over in chapter 11. Another famous story that you know, the Tower of Babel, verses 1 through 8 of chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will be now impossible for them. Come, let us go down. And, and they are confused their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the people, and from there the Lord dispersed them over all the earth. So God had sent his people throughout all the earth. He told them to multiply and fill it. But here we see that they wanted to do the exact opposite. They said, no, we're going to gather together. We're going to build an amazing city. We're going to build a tower and see what verse 4 tells us. They said, let us build a city and a tower, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. The exact opposite of what God had called them to do. They were enjoying God's grace. The engineering abilities that God has given us as humans. They were building an amazing city and a tower. They were enjoying one language. They were enjoying his grace, but they were not extending his glory. They were failing to do that. And so we know that God is sovereignly in control. His purposes will come to pass. And so he confuses their languages and scatters them across the face of the earth. He says... My name will be great among the nations. And so it is going to happen. As we come to the next chapter, Genesis 12, we see that it's in the plan of God to choose one man who will become one nation to extend God's glory to every nation, to extend his glory to every nation. Look at Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. It was a 1,500 mile journey of faith that Abram had set out on. He did not know where he was going. But the Lord says, as you are going, I'm going to bless you in amazing ways. And in turn, you will extend my glory much farther than you could ever imagine. Through you, every people group, every nation on earth will be blessed. And God repeats this blessing to uh, Abraham in Genesis 18 and in Genesis 22. 
In fact, the circumstances surrounding Genesis 22 are important to point out. Does anybody remember what happens in Genesis chapter 22? It's a story you all know. Abraham and Isaac, the almost sacrifice of Isaac. In fact, if you were raised in church, um, this is a story that you would have learned um, from a very young age. Uh, And there's an important side point to point out here. when we, often when we come to our Sunday school stories, sometimes uh, we kind of pick the story out of its context and we ignore the rest of the chapter and then we immediately make some kind of personal application. Uh, For this story, and maybe something like, dads, you may feel at times like sacrificing your son. Don't do it. It's a bad idea. Bad idea. Trust what God has planned for his life. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Well, that's purposely a a bad application. It's bad. Uh, Sometimes the application we make is appropriate, uh, but we've missed the bigger picture. With this story, we usually stop reading the story at verse 14. But look at verse 15 in Genesis 22. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So once again, we see God repeating that promise. Enjoy my grace. I am going to continue to bless you so that you will multiply and fill the earth. Every nation will be blessed and they will extend my glory. Well, as we come closer to the end of Genesis, we see that this promise is repeated to Isaac in chapter 26. It's repeated to Jacob in chapter 28. And we know that God changed Jacob's name to what? Israel. That's right. So God's plan was for the family of Abraham to grow and become the large nation of Israel. And it grew from one family into this nation uh, while they were living in Egypt. The Lord directed them there, and, and you can read that, story, uh, uh, read that story in Genesis about Joseph. But no matter how large the nation grew, the family business stayed, my, stayed the same. Enjoy my grace, extend my glory. Then we come to the time of Moses. And we know from the story of Joseph that the Israelites enjoyed um, blessing in the land of Egypt, but then a new pharaoh came into power, and he turned the tables, and it was the exact opposite. The Israelites were persecuted. And so as we come to uh, the time of Moses, go to the book of Exodus. Next book, chapter 9. Exodus chapter 9. God raised up a deliverer for the Israelites. But for what purpose? For what purpose? In chapter 9, we are quite a bit of ways through the plagues, This is the seventh plague. But in verse 13 of chapter 9, we read this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. 
For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, here it is, what purpose did he do this? For this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. The Lord raised up Moses. He is delivering his people out of the hand of the Egyptians so his name will be great. Enjoy my grace, Israelites, as I free you, and in turn, I'm sending you out to the promised land to extend my glory. But as they head to the promised land, they struggle with unbelief, didn't they? They sent out spies into the land, and what did the spies say when they came back? They said, wow, this land is amazing. It is flowing with milk and honey, but there's giants there. There's giants there. There's a lot of pagan nations. They are very strong. We cannot do it. We cannot conquer them. Only two men, Caleb and Joshua, encouraged the people to trust in the Lord. In Numbers 14, we're told that the whole nation actually rose up and grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Joshua and Caleb spoke up and said, do not rebel against the Lord. We can do this. But they didn't listen, and they actually picked up stones to stone Moses and Aaron to death. But the Lord intervened. The Lord intervened. But even Moses, even Moses sinned. Moses was not perfect. He acted presumptuously and he failed to honor the holiness of God. And because of the seriousness of his sin, the Lord does not allow Moses to enter the promised land. He does not allow him to enter. Turn to Deuteronomy 4. In Deuteronomy 4, we see Moses pleading with the Israelites pleading with the Israelites as he finishes out his time to obey the Lord. Numbers, or sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 4, starting in verse 1, verses 1 through 6. Moses says, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all peoples, who, when they hear all these statues, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So the Lord says, I am blessing you by giving you my law, my good commandments. It will be well with you if you follow my commands. And you, in turn, will extend my glory. And the nations surrounded you will come and they will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Enjoy my grace. Extend my glory. Extend my glory. Let's fast forward a bit to 1 Samuel 17. Turn there, 1 Samuel 17. The Israelites did conquer the land, 
although not without problems. They were influenced by the pagan nations. It demanded that the Lord give them a king. And who remembers who was the first king? Saul, that's right. How did Saul do? Yeah, he started out kind of okay, but then quickly went south. God raised up David to be the next king. And as we know, David was a man after God's own heart. He was devoted to the Lord. And God, uh, well, the story that we come to in 1 Samuel 17 is actually another Sunday school story. You, probably the, the, the most well-known Sunday school story of all time, David and Goliath. And often when we look at this story, well, you've probably heard the bad application that comes along with this one, haven't you? You can conquer the giant, but that is not with God's help. Yep, that's the bad application. But that is not why this story is in the Bible. Look at verses 45 through 47 of 1 Samuel 17. 45 through 47. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. For what purpose? That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That was the purpose. God raised up David to take down Goliath so his name, his glory, would spread among the nations. It's amazing. Well, one more in the Old Testament. The height of the Israelite kingdoms came during the reign of Solomon. This was the height of their power and influence. In another Sunday school story, do you remember, God came to King Solomon and said, Solomon, I will give you anything that you ask for. And what did he ask for? Wisdom, exactly. What a great lesson for us. But for what purpose? For what purpose? Let's look at 1 Kings. Go to 1 Kings chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10. And I'm actually skipping a couple other points. We could see this thread uh, with Solomon in 1 Kings. But for sake of time, we're just going to read chapter 10. Who comes to visit Solomon? Verse 1, Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, which I'm guessing that means entourage, uh, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. She was speechless. She was blown away. And she, she gathers herself, and then in verse 6 she says, she says to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe 
the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpass the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who is delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold. That's about 75 pounds of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. What an amazing, amazing picture. A pagan queen from afar off hears what the Lord is doing. This is in God's plan. This is exactly what he wanted. Enjoy my grace, Solomon. Look at everything that I have given you, Solomon, and extend my glory. And that is exactly what happened. Queen, the queen of Sheba comes and says, man, this isn't, it doesn't even describe what I've been told. It's the half of it. And this pagan queen praises the Lord and says, blessed be the Lord your God for raising you up. What an amazing picture. Enjoy my grace. Extend my glory. Well, do you see the thread? Do you see God's purposes for working through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the Israelites? If we had more time, we could dive into the Psalms again. We just finished a great series on the Psalms. But we could see how we are called to the nations. Psalm 46, 67, 77, 82, and 96 all speak about this. And, you know, I just have to read one of them. Okay, let's just do one of them. Psalm 67. Go to Psalm 67. It's a short one, only seven verses. But this really describes this whole idea, enjoy my grace, extend my glory so well. Psalm 67, verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. So there it is. Enjoy my grace. For what purpose? In verse 2. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you. And the word peoples here is all nations, every people group, every ethnic group. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. A very clear picture of what we are called to do. The Lord has blessed us, so we will extend his glory. We could keep going through all the prophets. We won't. But we could look at Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Habakkuk, Micah, and Malachi. The same thread runs through the prophets. But let's go to the New Testament. As we come to the New Testament... We see that the promised Messiah has come and that he has fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies. Jesus comes. He lives the perfect life. He dies a horrible death. He atones for our sins and he was raised to life, conquering death. And after his resurrection, we come to Luke 24. Turn to Luke 24. And a couple weeks ago, Pastor Pilgrim referenced this in his sermon as well. Luke 24 at verse 44. After his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples. In verse 44, he says, 
These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So this, you could see, is the culmination of this phrase, enjoy my grace, extend my glory. I have given you my grace in Jesus Christ. I have given you repentance and forgiveness of sins. For what purpose? That my name should be proclaimed among all nations. And as we know, as, as Jesus wraps up his ministry on earth, he gives us the great commission in Matthew 28, that the gospel should be proclaimed to all nations, every people group, and so, not only just to evangelize, but to baptize, to teach them everything that I have commanded you, that's planting churches, planting churches around the world. And so, the circle begins again. Win, disciple, send out more to win, disciple, send out more to win, disciple, and it goes on and on. A moment ago, I mentioned as we were looking at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that this was the family business. The family business was to enjoy God's grace and extend his glory. And sometimes we feel disconnected. We feel disconnected from the Israelites because of time and culture. But look at this verse on the screen. Galatians 3, 28 and 29. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is talking about salvation. And then the next verse. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So do you see? We are part of Abraham's family. We are the spiritual descendants. The mandate passes on to us. We are in the family business. We must continue it on. And now, in this time, the Lord works through the church. And so he has raised up local churches to have a role in this. And so we come back to Acts 13. And we come finally, right, finally to our second point, the church's role in sending in Acts 13. Turn back there. So verse 1 of Acts 13, again says, now there were there, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Herod's best friend, Manaean, and Saul. Uh, so the Lord had a special purpose for the church at Antioch, to send out the first missionaries ever. Up until this point, the gospel had progressed from Jerusalem in Acts 2. That's the birth of the church. The gospel had progressed. It had gone to the Samaritans in Acts 8. And God extended it to the Gentiles. And remember, when we think of the word Gentiles, that is us. That is every people group. We saw that in Acts 10 and 11 with the story of Peter and Cornelius. And then... As we come to Acts, we see the first church sending out missionaries. If we look back into Acts 11, we can just see a little bit of the history of the church. Look at Acts 11, uh, verse 19. The title of my Bible says, The Church in Antioch. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that rose over Stephen. Remember, Stephen was the first martyr in the church. 
They traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians." So based on this passage and based on Acts 13, we, we have a glimpse into the church at Antioch. And we, we see a couple aspects of this church based on this passage. Chris, can you put that picture up? Here's a picture just to remind us um, the setting. We see Antioch in the left there where the red and blue arrows meet. And this is Paul's first missionary journey along with Barnabas. And... So like I said before, this was the first church to uh, intentionally send missionaries to the nations. And it was a culturally diverse church as well with multi-ethnic leadership. The word Hellenists that we just read a moment ago is a word that refers to Greeks. So there was a large number that got saved and it was a culturally diverse church. So no longer was it just a church of Israelites. Now we have Greeks and Gentiles mixing together. And so that changed, that changed a little bit the direction of the church and became a, a missions sending church. And it says also that Paul and Barnabas had a year of impact there, uh, a big impact over a year's time. It also says that it was the first place that believers were called Christians. Uh, the word Christian occurs three times, just three times in the New Testament. Here, Acts 26, 28, and 1 Peter 4, 16. And as you know, it means a person who belongs to or is following Christ. So the Lord had primed the church at Antioch to be a great instrument in spreading his glory among the nations. And that sets a model for us as well. And so as we see in chapter 13, we see a couple things that give us insight into the church's role in sending. A couple things. First, the leadership in the church is involved in sending. Uh, we have the prophets and teachers, uh, those who declare and teach God's word. There's Barnabas, there's Simeon, Lucius, Manan, and Saul himself. These are men of God that fulfill the qualifications of elders in 1 Timothy and Titus. And the elders are called to shepherd the church in all areas, including the raising up of missionaries to go out from the church. Missionaries are an extension of the church. They are not lone rangers. If you meet somebody uh, who is going into the world uh, and is not connected to a local church, that is a problem. And I would not encourage you, or I would encourage you to encourage them to be sent out by a church. That is the model that we have in Scripture. Um, just as the leaders uh, are called to be watchful as to what is taught in the church, they must also be watchful in who they send out. We have a big problem with this in the U.S., that we are exporting the prosperity gospel often more than we are exporting the true gospel. We must be careful who we are sending out into the world. The elders of the church must affirm the readiness and training of any missionaries who have a desire to go out. 
A case in point, let's talk about our own church. Okay, we've got a lovely couple in our church, Ryan and Roxanne. We love Ryan and Roxanne. Do you know Ryan and Roxanne? If you don't, you should get to know them. They're very involved. Ryan's on setup uh, and uh, does a great job in setting up everything for us. And Roxanne, Roxanne is pregnant. Um, and so we're excited for them to have their first child. But if you talk to Ryan uh, longer than probably about 25 seconds, you will know that he has a burden and desire to be involved in taking the gospel to Japan. Um, Japan is not an unengaged country. There are churches there. There are missionaries there, but it's definitely unreached. Um, there are so many there that need the gospel, and solid churches need to be planted. Uh, and so Ryan um, has had a burden, um, has a zeal and a passion um, to take the gospel to Japan. And he's told me, he said, Mike, if it was up to me, I would already be there. I would have gone already. And while we love Ryan and Roxanne's zeal for this, we don't think that they're ready. We don't think that they're ready to do that. And so we've asked them to stay here in the church, to serve here first, then to go get solid cross-cultural training, and then we will, with joy, Lord willing, send them out one day um, to be involved in taking the gospel. That's something we're excited to see how the Lord is working in them. But zeal and passion alone is not enough. That's a great first start, but it has to be followed by solid training and by a solid church that is sending, sending missionaries out. So first, the leadership of the church is involved in sending. We see that here. Secondly, we see here that the Lord directs through corporate worship. Very interesting. Our text says that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, um, and so as we are faithful to gather together, the Lord works through the body of Christ. As discipleship happens, as the word is faithfully taught, the Holy Spirit is going to direct. He will. Um, and so this also under, underscores the seriousness as well of the task ahead. It's not something to be taken lightly or flippantly. The work of church planning and unreached people groups takes 10 to 15 years. Languages must be learned. Businesses may need to be started to give us access into these areas. Relationships will be built. The Bible needs to be translated often in these places. And, of course, the word needs to be taught. Disciples need to be raised up. Elders need to be raised up. And a church needs to function on its own so the missionaries can leave. That is a long process. So it's not one to jump in light, with a light heart. The discernment needed to know whether or not the Lord is leading someone into this work can only come through worship, which is prayer, the study of God's words, meeting together corporately, and yes, at times through fasting as well. Well, thirdly, the church commissions. We see this here. We see that Saul and Barnabas were commissioned they were prayed for, hands were laid upon them, and they were sent off. So a commissioning is the official sending out of missionaries. Uh, and the word commission means instruction, it means command, or it means duty. So it's the whole church coming together, together to reaffirm the task in front of these missionaries, to encourage them as they go out, uh, and uh, to pray for them and send them off. In my role with, with GSI, once in a while I have the privilege to travel uh, here in the U.S. to be part of commissioning services for some of our missionaries headed out. Just two weeks ago I had a privilege, Katrina and I, we went to Kansas to be a part of commissioning service for Nate and Heather who are headed to Asia. 
and it was a great service. And after the service, they had a special time uh, where they asked me to come. I spoke a few words of, of exhortation to Nate and Heather and also to the church. Uh, and then the elders came up, and together we prayed for them um, and sent them out. It's a very sweet time. Um, and so I'm looking forward to do that more here as the Lord directs. Well, finally, the, the last thing we see uh, in this passage, and actually just in chapter 14, uh, the church supports. The church supports. Uh, the church is not only called to send well, but to support well. And that involves prayer. It involves finances. It involves spiritual and ministry accountability and general encouragements. And that's, um, we're going to be praying for Megan in just a little bit. Um, and we need to, we haven't exactly sent her, Calvary Sarasota did that, but we can be involved in supporting her well. And that's why we bring her newsletters to you. That's why we pray for her. That's why we encourage you to get on her newsletter list, to support her with your finances and to be involved. But if we look, as we look at Acts 14, we see that Paul and Barnabas came back. They came back at the end of uh, chapter 14 in verse 24. They had finished what the Lord had called them to, at least for this first journey. It says, Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them. And how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. So we see that accountability. We see Paul and Barnabas, the sent out, sent out missionaries from the church, coming back when their work was completed and updating the church and sharing what God had done. It says the whole church gathered to hear what he had done. And it's an amazing time when we have returning missionaries come and we can rejoice with them. So that is our second point, the church's role in sending, to prayerfully facilitate. Well, finally this morning we come to our third point, the believer's role in sending, our role to be obediently going, obediently involved. While we were at Engage Global, they exhorted us, and in turn I'm going to exhort you, to be global Christians. And this is the definition that they gave us for that. One who understands God's heart for the world and strategically lives their life in such a way that whatever they do and wherever they are, they are striving to see him glorified among the nations. Does that define you this morning? Are you a global Christian? Well, if this is new or if this is something that uh, you need to be more involved in, here are a couple ways to be involved. There's five ways. First, you can be a goer. Ryan and Roxanne are prayerfully going to be goers. A goer is one that establishes a church within people groups where the, where the church does not yet exist. You can be a welcomer. A welcomer is one who welcomes and reaches the nations who have come to us. And this also is part of that enjoy my grace, extend my glory. Because the Lord has blessed our country uh, through these through these. 200 plus years that he's allowed us to be a country. He's, in, he's blessed us, and so many people from other countries are coming to America. Many people groups have come, and they, they've moved to cities like Minneapolis, like Tampa, uh, many places. And so if there are foreigners around us that are immigrants, we have a mandate, we have um, a call to welcome them, to share Christ with them, get to know them, have them in our homes, make them feel welcome. 
You could be a mobilizer. A mobilizer is one who connects God's people to God's purpose for the nations. That could be as simply uh, as just sharing about the missionaries you support, sharing about the missionaries that you know of, bringing others into this and sharing what the Lord has done. You could be a sender. A sender is one who partners in various ways with those who go. We've listed those uh, this morning. You can pray, you can give, um, and you can encourage. You can encourage. And you can be an intercessor. You can stand in the gap for unreached peoples. And in fact, this is something we all should be doing. We each Look at these five and, and think about which one you are doing or which one you know you should be doing to be involved in this. But the intercessor part is one that, um, that we can do without much effort. We can stand in the gap and pray. And a practical way to do this is for you to go later and download the Unreached People Group of the Day app on your phone. It's put out by Joshua Project, and every day they, they give a, a, a people group. There's usually a picture, there's some facts about the people, and there's prayer requests. Um, so that's something that you can set up um, to give you notifications to be praying for unreached people groups. And we're going to start doing that here uh, in church as well. Uh, on Sundays, we're going to be praying for the unreached. We need to do that more as a corporate body. Well, as we close this morning, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and we're going to end uh, in Matthew 9. So turn to Matthew 9, uh, verse 35. Matthew 9, verse 35. Verse 35 says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. So in verse 37, it says that the laborers are few. In other words, I can't, the Lord is saying, I can't do this alone. The laborers are few. And so we see the heart of God again here to send again, to extend his glory. And first we have to know why sending is important. What are we going to do about a lost and dying world, a hell-bound world, a world, world full of hurting people who need compassion? What are we going to do about the condition of men and women who are trapped under false teaching, false shepherds who feed them lies that damn their souls? We have to send. God has to send. We have to pray for more labors because there's not enough. How many times in the Bible do we read this, watch and pray? Or this, be sober, be vigilant, or be alert. We have to know what is going on. We have to see the sign of the times in which we live. We have to understand our time. We have to understand the needs around us. It says here that the Lord saw the multitudes and had compassion. Do we see those people around us? Do we have compassion for them? Or are we so insulated in our bubbles that and we don't see the people that we pass by each day? Can we see through the religious facades, the nominal Christianity, where people think they're okay because maybe they've raised a hand or they've gone down an aisle, they've prayed a prayer, but in fact they have not repented? Can we see past the religious facade? Can we see past the phony false teachers? Can we defend God's truth against those? 
We understand. God wants us to see. And so he explains it to his disciples. He said, the harvest is so full. It's going to include everybody. There's this mass of people headed toward the end, headed toward judgment. And we have to have laborers to snatch some out. But how do we do that? Well, verse 38 tells us how. What it doesn't say is it doesn't say panic. It doesn't say panic. It doesn't say do it yourself and, and you better start as quick as you can. It doesn't say, hey, come up with a great program to attract people. It doesn't say that at all. What does it say? Do you have the passage in front of you? What does it say? Pray. Exactly. It says pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. And that's an interesting term, the Lord of the harvest. The very God who is the Lord of the harvest, and that's a judgment term. The very God who is the judge is the one that we ask to send more laborers to prevent people from getting to the judgment. Do you see that? It's incredible. So there's a part of God as we know. He's perfect in justice. He demands justice and judgment. There has to be a covering for sins. If it's through Christ, then you're going to atone for your own sins in hell. So there's a part of God, that perfect attribute of justice in him, but there's also an attribute of him where he doesn't want anybody to be there. He doesn't want anybody to be there. Well, he says, he doesn't say, now get out of here and and, and act as fast as you can and do the job. He says, stop, wait, and pray. It's like in the book of Acts when he's gathered with the disciples and the Lord met them in the upper room and he says, now you stay here and you pray and when, uh, don't go anywhere until the Holy Spirit comes. Don't go anywhere. The Holy Spirit will come and then he'll send you out. But for the moment, don't do anything. Pray. And do you notice what it says here? What, you're, which, what we're called to pray for? It doesn't say pray for the lost doesn't say that. It says pray for laborers. Because we can sit around and we can pray for the lost. And, and we should. We should pray for our neighbors, for our family members, for our co-workers to come to the Lord. We should. But that's not what he says. He says pray that the Lord will send out laborers. Because if we just pray for the lost, then we can kind of keep them at arm's length. But if we follow the Lord's command here and we say, Lord, send someone, send someone to my neighbor, send someone to my coworker, send someone to my family. As we pray that, over time, all of a sudden, one day, you're going to say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, that's me. I'm the one that should go. I'm the one that the Lord is sending. It's so important. He's called us to proclaim his glory among the nations, and to be moved to do that because he has blessed us, because we see that the world is lost, and because we understand what will come to them if they are not saved. So we have to have the attitude of Isaiah that says, here am I, send me. That must be our answer. Well, as we finish, J. Vernon McGee, the great Bible, radio Bible teacher, He said this, when a man prays for a corn crop, the Lord expects him to say amen with a hoe. I have always believed that you should not pray about anything unless you are also willing to do it yourself. My friends, we are all called to be part 
of enjoying God's grace. We do that very well, don't we? We do a great job here in the U.S. of enjoying God's grace. But how are we doing at extending his glory? One of my favorite verses, uh, one that we didn't hit this morning in that thread, is, is Malachi 1.11, which says, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be proclaimed among the nations. And a pure offering, uh, uh, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations. That is what is going to happen. His name will be great. But he's asking us and calling us, encouraging us to be involved. We know that he does the work. We know that only he can save. But he's calling us to be part of that, to continue in the family business and extend his glory. The question is, will we join him? Will we join him? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our great Savior. Lord, we, we know that you have saved us to be a blessing to the nations. You have not saved us to insulate ourselves from the world, to just reap your blessings, blessing after blessing, sermon after sermon, book after book without extending your glory, without being involved, Lord. So, Lord, as a church, Lord, I ask that you will continue to open doors for us to be involved in extending your glory among the nations. And that that would be true for each one of us individually. Lord, are we goers? Are we senders? Are we mobilizers? Are we welcomers? Are we intercessors? What part do we play in that, Lord? We ask that you would be faithful to show us. I thank you for this, this church, Lord, and how you're already allowing us to be involved in some ways. Lord, as we're going to sing right now, would you enable us, enable us and empower us by your Holy Spirit to arise, to put our armor on, to hear the call of Christ, our captain. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we worship you now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Shoreline Church meets every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Lakewood Ranch YMCA. You can get more content and more information by visiting thisisshoreline.com. If you have any questions or any prayer needs, please don't hesitate to email us at info at calvaryshoreline.com. God bless you.